Elite Lopet Weekend will take place this Friday, May 26th through Sunday, May 28th. Large pools that rival even the biggest North American thoroughbred tracks await betters via the Whirlpool. Betters will need to wake up early, though, as the first post from Solvala Racetrack in Stockholm, Sweden, is set for 6.45 a.m. Eastern Time each race day. The race gets added North American attention. This year is four-time Dan Patch Driver of the Year and Meadowlands regular driver Dexter Dunn will pick up his first-ever Elite Loppet Drive. Meadowlands trainer and driver Oken Svanstedt will return to his native Sweden to participate again this year as well. The Elite Loppet Final will go as race number 11 on Sunday morning with a scheduled post time of 11.45 a.m. Eastern. Stay tuned to the In the Money Media Network for two podcasts this week. An introduction to Swedish racing and the Elite Luppet podcast and a specific podcast handicapping and discussing this year's Elite Luppet and other big races during the weekend. Also, check out Edison Hatter's Twitter page for exclusive videos and interviews for the entire Elite Luppet weekend. He's going to be on site at Solvala. You can find him at Edison underscore 1999 underscore. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, May 23rd, Preakness Recap. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. It may have just been Preakness weekend, but clearly here with my secretariat shirt on, already looking forward to the Belmont. But before we turn the page and get to that, and there is a part of me that wants to take a less said, the better approach about uh, some of the stuff we saw on Saturday, but we're going to uh, look backwards before we look forwards. And to do that with me, we bring in the man from in the money podcast.com and the microphone at Sam Houston. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's up, my man? I'm doing great, my friend. Of course, you and I have never taken the less said, the better approach. <laughs> That's really true. That's really true. The Preakness, uh, this was not the race that we wanted in terms of a horse that it felt like everybody on the In The Money team was behind first mission, not being able to uh, con- compete. And then we got the uh, we got the collateral uh, form line early in the day from Arabian Lion, a race that was fast enough that you're already thinking, wow, these Preakness horses are going to have to do something to to run uh, to, to, to run a, a figure that's better than what we're guessing this guy gets. In the end, as we uh, surmised on the the emergency show, without first mission in there, National Treasure able to walk the dog on the lead and get the job done with a 98 buyer speed figure. Mage makes this move there in the mid-stretch. He looks like he's coming to win the race. He kind of lugs in, finishes very flat. Um, and then, of course, you had Blazing Sevens, who runs a, a much bigger race than I think most of us were thinking he was going to be able to, looking like he was going to win for a second. National Treasure, though, too good down on the fence. Give me your overall – we'll dive deep on this one, but let's start just with your overall impression of this year's Preakness. I mean, it's – you know, in the context of the day, it's uh, it was hardly the most satisfying result. I think that uh, the, we'll go there uh, thoroughly. We will go there thoroughly on the next round of questions. Right. Um, the race itself was just sort of mind boggling in terms of how it played out because I mean, I don't want to beat up on connections of a horse that legitimately was a, you know, 40 plus to one shot on paper, but why are you entering coffee with Chris? If you're going to raid, I mean, you have one opportunity to win the race is to go to the lead. The horse has a ton of speed. 
got involved in a white hot pace last time out. And, you know, I've spoken in the past about it and it's something that I know people scoff at because it's really just an anecdotal kind of comment. But, you know, in so many of these situations, John Velasquez gets the lead and everybody just genuflex, you know, they, they don't, they don't, they don't push. And, and so, you know, it's, it's very difficult for a, a, a traditional type of race to take place and, you know, I opined on Saturday night that Luis Saez probably wouldn't have done that if he had been on first mission and he had been in the race. And it would have at least made for a, a much more realistic type of, of uh, at least not necessarily outcome, but, you know, National Treasure would have had to earn it. And as it ended up, he didn't really I mean, he finished first, but um, it's 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 really hard to argue that he ran the best race. Um, it, it also so, you know, you leave with a as far as the race itself, you leave with a slightly bitter taste in your mouth and wagering wise. I mean, I, I did so poorly on the day. It didn't matter really. Um, I had no good opinions for the most part. Um, so I, I was alive to national treasure and mage and stuff that really was not all that consequential. So, yeah, I mean, that's how I would say about it overall mage specifically, you know, it, this was always going to be one of the potential dangers of them training him to get the additional distance was that they really dulled his speed. And so not having as much speed as he had in prior starts, he was always going to need a little bit more help on the front end. And it ended up that he needed a little bit too much help. Yeah, it looked a lot. And I'll give credit to Michael Domable for this observation. There was, there was a little bit of orb going on here in the sense of a horse that got a tremendous setup in the Derby and then had sort of the anti setup. Pause one second, Pete. There's somebody at my door. Yes. Yeah, dude. I'm just going to keep, I'll just keep opining. You too. We, people are used to this at this point. I, I have to let the, you know, I, I and get a, a, a FedEx package, whatever. Why make Craig have to edit? But yeah, so you go back to 2013, Orb gets the gigantic setup in the Derby, comes back in the Preakness, the opposite happens. The biggest difference here is in 2013, the market sort of went crazy for Orb. Orb was like handed the triple crown in a lot of people's minds based on the huge and impressive Derby run. And then you, you had a chance to, you know, get a good price on Oxbow. Now I messed it up. I, I didn't even bet that race correctly. But this time around, the obvious horse to take advantage of the pace situation, National Treasure, you were still taking less than three to one. And meanwhile, you had Mage at seven to five, which I feel like before, during and after, I feel like objectively Mage at seven to five was almost better the year type stuff because I just felt like there was not really a scenario in which he wasn't, 50-50 to win the race, setup or no setup. I just coming off the race that he ran, the figure he ran, it just seemed to me that seven to five was ridiculous. And I I, you know, went highly in that direction here. And it did not uh obviously didn't work out. But it's one of those things where I feel like it's a mistake afterwards to say, Oh, I bet too much on mage, I made the wrong bet. I think I got seven to five on a coin flip on heads. And we flipped the coin and it came up tails. This kind of stuff's going to happen, but I don't have any negative uh, feeling about that uh, after the fact. One other thing I wanted to give credit for, and this was in other interviews, but when we did our um, final answer show, which wasn't really a final answer show this year because we did it so early in the week. <laughs> but when we did our Preakness Roundtable, I'll call it, John Piazza was very clear of having talked to Salzman and that whole camp that, that they weren't going to rate. And when, if you took that information literally, and sometimes connections say, oh, we're going to rate, and then they go hammer and tongs, and it's a little bit of a head fake. But if you take that um, literally, which you should have, because the horse obviously grabbed and had no interest in showing speed, then once first mission came out, I wouldn't have blamed anybody, 
for saying national treasure is their top pick or national treasure is going to walk the dog on the lead. But for me, as such a speed figure guy as I am, and, 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 you know, I'll probably uh, came into the game this way and I'll probably go out of it the same way. I'm not going to regret backing mage at that price. And I truly believe if mage had been as good as we thought he was slash had run his race, he runs national treasure down even without the setup. I mean, this is a horse. I mean, in my mind, you got a horse that's running a 105 versus a horse that's maybe supposed to run a 95. It shouldn't even matter that much, but it turned out in this case it did. And another factor might be the two weeks. We'll get to that also. We got a lot to unpack in this show. But after the race, how do you feel about how you bet it? I was saying that, you know, I, I still felt good. Uh, objectively, I feel like seven to five was a tremendous price on Major. Yeah, I agree with your rationale entirely. I think he was a he was 50 50 to win it at, at worst. At probably worst. with first mission yeah. out. And um, and so yeah, I don't I don't blame you one bit. I think it was a you know, it, it, look, he was hovering around nine to five or two to one for a while, and that looked like a gift from God. I guess it looked about as good as the gift we thought we got on first mission in the future pool. But <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> so, you know, we've been blamed, Nick. We've been blamed by some uh some sharpies who say, you know, you guys talking about what a great bet you got on this horse in the future pool is the reason why the racing gods decided he had to scratch any comment on that. Uh, I mean, I've been, I've been sort of rained on, on a sunny day before. So not all that shocking. Yeah. Not all I, that. that was very, that was very tongue in cheek and it may have been Clay Sanders who said it. So it's a, uh, well, yeah. and he, <laughs> he, he has reason to be upset. So yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I thought mage was, was very, very likely to win, afterwards and so wait so you were saying so john piasek said that salzman told him they were going to raid they were going to raid that was okay. on our roundtable show and apparently that was elsewhere in the in the media as well that i mean i don't get it either i mean i, I mean it's the i felt exactly the way that you felt you go there with a long shot you try to make it a true race you hear your name called a couple of times and if you're good enough you hang around i i don't see what I mean, I know, I guess they said steady, but I mean, it looked very deliberate. It looked like they should, I mean, it looked like very deliberate rating tactics and, yeah. you know, trailing and, and making a big run for fifth in a seven horse race. I, I don't see what that accomplishes. No. And, you know, in, in all likelihood, these are the kind of people that are never going to get back. And don't you at least want to give yourself a puncher's chance? I mean, his chances of winning were, were single digits, low single digits to begin with and rating, you know, but some horse have this obsession with reminding everybody that their speed horse can raid it's like really i i don't necessarily care how you draw it up i just want to see the result so you know generally speed horses need to be on the lead and ironically bob baffert is a guy who has won almost the entirety of the biggest races in his career by having his horses use speed it's sort of an amazing phenomenon yeah exactly he is the the the, the way his and the pletcher runners typically run is a uh, it's there's no coincidence that they're that they're so effective with uh, letting speed horses actually show speed. Let's talk about the nasty bit. Um, having a meltdown uh, breaks down earlier in the card, and look, I I think the real factor. Why did this horse break down? You know, everybody wants me to throw Bob Baffert under the bus. I, it's and it's obviously horrible optics. I think the main thing here is just horrific luck. I mean, the first team that puts on the Preakness, who run racing at Santa Anita have shown that they can very effectively put every precaution into place. The numbers in Santa Anita 
in terms of equine fatalities are something the industry as a whole should be striving towards. I, I don't think it was an unsafe track. Baffert obviously going to face more scrutiny than most, given his uh, checkered track record in these um, in these areas and the negative attention that he's drawn to the sport. I don't think he's trying to push the envelope on this undercard. I think this is it's bad luck, but the optics are so horrible. And to go from you know the feeling of I mean I must have said it you know early in the day. Let's hope Mage wins and we can go to New York with a story we can get people talk our racing fans we can talk about the story we want to talk about and then you know the the all horse players again you know was sort of cynical by nature we're used to having sand kicked in our face and after the having a meltdown um tragedy it it it, it just you, you just got the feeling i mean you know everything was everything was going in this direction of of well isn't national treasure just going to walk the dog on the on the lead and win and you know now we get the, the, the story and, and the national attention that, that, that we don't want to have. But, you know, I'm also not going to come up here and point a finger at Baffert in, in this specific instance because, I mean, I really just think it's, it's bad luck and we look terrible and horse racing, you know, gives itself a, a black eye once again. And, and you know, I, 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 there's no – it'd be so satisfying to play the blame game, but I, I don't see the point in it and I, I don't think it's really fair. Yeah, it, it is. It is bad luck. I, I mean, look, it's uh, obviously the game is under the microscope during this five week stretch. It'll it'll sort of die down now because really the only mainstream media attention we're getting is about things that are that are at this point that are negative. So we're only going to get coverage of breakdowns and doping, as Dan Wolken likes to call it. When you use a, a topical ointment on a horse, it's, that's doping. Then yeah. that's the New York Times policy. Yeah, you know, we tried. Talking about that with, with with Jay, even even you know a, a right the overage of illegal medication is conflated with the service um, and Navarro stuff for, for yeah, better which is, which is insanity. Right, yeah. it's total insanity. You know what needs to be what needs to be broadcast to the world is that the anti-doping policy went in place yesterday, and you know racing has taken an enormous amount of strides in the last four years to ensure the safety of humans and equines. And I thought Jerry Bailey and Randy Moss and Ahmed Farid did a really good job in the immediate aftermath covering it on NBC, explaining why a horse with a, you know, with a, with a basically a useless ankle, unfortunately, is, is just not sustainable and why things like that happen. And, they, and Jerry and Randy both opined that, you know, obviously the goal is zero. You're never going to get to zero, but you want to get to as close to it as possible. And, you know, you don't want to take the cop-out approach, which is, well, we have recognized it's going to happen. Hopefully it happens on the days where nobody's watching. I mean, let's be realistic. Nobody's watching 360 days a year in terms of mainstream attention, right? It's a niche sport in that respect. So most of the, you know, if these things were to happen on around the Derby as they did and on Preakness Day, then they're going to get an enormous amount of attention. But I also think that racing has to be very careful to stop apologizing for itself. And, you know, it understands that, what you have to do is focus on the things that you can control, which is that take a company like first racing, as you said, that's put an enormous amount of protocols in the state vet in Kentucky has obviously been very aggressive in terms of ensuring safety. Um, you know, there was a little bit of suspicion about what might've been going on with a certain trainer's horses at Churchill. So they ruled them off. You know, these are, these are things that are happening that did not happen 
years and years ago. So some real efforts are being made. And, you know, I don't buy the doomsday stuff about, oh, this is racing's last stand and so on and so forth. I mean, there's just, this is way, 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 way. And I could say way for an hour too big <laughs> for, you know, for something like this to be taken down. Um, but I do think there's attention that has to be paid to topics like the social license to operate like you and Jay and, and Jessica covered, but it's also about putting, putting forth a, a, you know, a real effort to, to let people know that, you know, we understand, we don't um, want things like this to happen. Obviously we regret them happening on any type of stage, whether it's a big one or it's a Tuesday at, at Thistledown. Um, and so we're going to do our very best to try and prevent it. We'll see. And I want to get much deeper into uh, some of what the heist approach is going to be here. And I want to give voice to the other side as well, you know, within the industry, the who, who are, you know, still sort of holding out against this national oversight, though I personally believe at this point um, it's it's th there's got to be a way to do this where the industry rallies together and tries to defend itself properly and, yeah. and speak with a unified voice. I mean, it's, it's, we're at that point where racing is never going to go away, but racing could, and, and, you know, obviously New York, separate conversation, but has been safeguarded to some degree, but California, it's, um, it's, it's tricky. There, there, there's some, there, there are some things that do, I don't have a full on doomsday scenario, but I do think that we're at, we're at a, we're at a crossroads. And I, and I think that, you know, hopefully, we're going to be able to uh, continue as has been done in California to come up with new protocols nationally that reduce this as much as possible. And I agree. There's no scenario where you get to zero horses in a field will find ways to kill themselves. Um, it's just, it's sort of the nature, the literal nature of the beast, but there's no doubt that racing can do better. And it was very, very disappointing to see that, that result earlier on the card. And then, you know, it just doesn't look good to obviously have the same controversial face in the winter circle after the big one. But, you know, as I said before, it's not like I don't see causality here. I think it's 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 kind of terrible coincidence at this stage. Let's talk about the, the one of the other major stories, I think, Nick, to come out of this year. Is this the last time we see the Preakness run back on two weeks? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of momentum in industry to stretch out this series. It was already um, dodgy to have not just the one horse come back from the Preakness, but so few others in there to fill up the starting gate. And then I, I this is an overused term that I, I don't like using, but boy, it looked like Mage kind of bounced to me. It just, it just didn't seem like the same horse. And I know the difference in pace scenarios was part of it. And maybe that makes up, half the distance but it 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 doesn't help the, the the case of run it back in two weeks to see that kind of performance from your derby winner and we're at a point where single data points like that might influence things do you think there's any chance they'll make the change as soon as next year hmm um i mean i, I think a lot of things are going to happen with maryland racing over the course of the next six months and that's probably going to contribute to it uh, especially with this Maryland Horse Racing Authority coming into play. So, you know, quite honestly, Pete, my issue with them moving the date is I don't think it'll change a number of the uh, – you move it back two weeks, I don't think it's going to stimulate Todd Pletcher and Brad Cox to run their horses back. I, I think it's you're, what you're going to get is a new date with the same horses in it. And clearly, 
a, a few things need to happen that need to be looked at from a global perspective in the industry. One thing I've been an advocate for, and I know this might not make a lot of people happy that run races prior to the Kentucky Derby, is that we have to take a long look at whether any of those races should be grade ones. Yep. And if none of those are grade ones, then the Preakness immediately has more meaning. You know, yep. than, than, and, and I mean two-year-old races too. And, and so that's, you know, that's going to be hard on a lot of, we're talking a serious amount of races, but, you know, if we want to treat the Triple Crown as something sacred, which, you know, let's be realistic, there are a few things in racing that really work. Yep. The Triple Crown works. I mean, we get a lot of people to the racetrack. We get a lot of attention. You know, look at the money in that, you know, does, does the Preakness move back two weeks, get the handle, the incredibly good handle that they got? I, right. that, I mean, that's my biggest fear with, like, I get moving it from will improve the quality of these races standpoint, but that there's knock-on effects here. Right. And the other thing is, I mean, we have to be realistic about the Preakness undercard. We're talking about a bunch of $100,000 races. I mean, those, their allowance races in Kentucky run for more money than that. So, I mean, these are races that over the years have taken purse cuts. And if we think that we're going to get some star-studded undercard made up of races with $100,000 purse, it's just not going to happen. You know, and I'm not I'm not doing that to slight Maryland racing at all, but it's realistic. I mean, you're not you're not going to run in the you know, in the Maryland turf sprint when you can wait three weeks and run in the Jiper and it's a grade one and the purse is four times as large. Right. And you're not going to run in the Allaire DuPont distaff when you can run in the Ogden Phipps. So, you know, that's just part of the reality. I mean, it's it's a wild idea that would probably never work. But I saw Craig Milkowski from Timeform put on Twitter he thinks the premium should be run on the first Saturday in April. Now, I think you'd have a quite a few people in a boardroom on the east side of Louisville a little upset about that. But, yeah. you know, the thing that, that never happens. To, well, the thing you come back to is the Derby's the Derby, right? Yeah. Derby's always going to be popular no matter what. It not being in sequence is not really the most ideal set of circumstances. But, you know, you start to if you go the first Saturday in May Derby, first Saturday in June Preakness, first Saturday in July Belmont. Well, what does that do to Saratoga? Right. And Naira is not going to allow their two biggest, the biggest items on Naira's agenda each year are the Belmont and Saratoga. And that would jeopardize both. So I just don't think that's happening. And I, I don't, you know, I'll be honest, Pete, some of this has to fall on the horsemen. And one of the things that I don't understand is that you train your horse for the Derby. To me, it would be implicit that you've trained them for the Triple Crown. Because if you win the Derby, you're not going to run in the Preakness. I mean, I saw Larry Ravelli say that about two fills. And, and I have respect for Larry Ravelli as a successful horseman. And he even said, if we had won the Derby, I might not have run in the Preakness. Like, really? I mean, are we at a point where the Preakness is that irrelevant to horsemen? Because they could be reminded that the majority of three-year-old champions in the 21st century have won the Preakness. Yep. It's still a very, very important race. It's a very meaningful race. And, you know, to, to treat it like it's some afterthought, to think that that horse skipped the Preakness and is going to run next in the mat win is just, it's mind boggling, but it, it tells you that spacing and timing and things like that have really overhauled tradition. I would love to see a meeting with horsemen, you know, the biggest horsemen. We, we, it's, 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 uh, you, you can, one benefit of having so much uh, consolidation in terms of training uh, big horses going with big trainers is you could, you could really get a, a group together that could speak with the voice of that perspective with important executives from first with important executives from Naira with somebody. And then, you know, you got to get somebody to represent the, the television interest too, because obviously nothing can happen without the television interest. And I'd, sure. I'd like to see if there isn't a, some way that could benefit 
there's a scenario where everyone could benefit, but it's going to involve some major rejiggering. I'm totally with you on, I feel like a race that's a prep for another race where there's other races for the same division that are huge on the same weekend. Those races should not be grade ones. I, I totally get that. You're never going to work. The two-year-old thing, the two-year-old grade one thing will never, that, that didn't yeah. get a change. You know, it's, it's such a, that one's like, that one I can't see, but I, but I could see some scenarios with a reduction of other grade one opportunities an increase in a per, in purse for a race like the Preakness, you know, maybe some sort of revamping of the undercard that, you know, it's the kind of situation where everybody would have to give something, but I think the sport as a whole could come out better and everyone involved is a reasonable person. So, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe they, they, maybe this meeting happens and it comes to an impasse and, and we get in a situation where people act unilaterally and, and the chips fall where they may. But boy, wouldn't it be great if that wasn't the way it worked out. I mean, it's a small enough group of smart enough people that it feels like there should be um, an answer here that, that, benefits, uh, that benefits everybody. Um, we'll see if that, in fact, ends up being the case or not. Let's get back to some racing, Nick, because we don't have all the time in the world here. Oh, well, first thing is, let's take a look forward to the Belmont because, boy, if everybody shows up who might show up, we could actually have a hell of a race. Um, what do you think the odds are that we'll see some of these horses who are, who are, being, who are being pointed? Actually, maybe I'll start with, it, with this question because this is a horse who's um, quite right now listed as possible for the Belmont Stakes. Would Arabian Lion have won the Preakness on, uh, on, on Saturday. Now, I know, put aside the idea that it's uh, the same trainer and Bob Baffert as, as the winner and, you know, team tactics and whatnot. Just in terms of ability, how do you think Arabian Lion would have looked in the Preakness? I think he's an improving horse. Um, I think he would have been dangerous, no doubt about it. The difference between he and National Treasure is that he did have to go quite a bit faster early um, he did take a mid-race challenge that really, you know, moved him forward quite a bit, whereas National Treasure really didn't feel any heat until the stretch. So I thought it was a strong performance. I saw Bob Baffert. It's always hard to, to you know, read exactly what Baffert is getting at, but he mentioned that Arabian Lion might be a Woody Stevens horse for him. So I think I get the vibe that, that National Treasure is probably going to run in the Belmont. And, um, and if Arabian Lion were to go there, Arabian Lion's performance on Saturday was very solid. Um, I continue to laugh at everybody, including me, who confuses him in Arabian Night. So it's going to be really <laughs> funny when they're both in the gate together at some point, which could happen at Saratoga. So, um, yeah, I think that would be my thought. And so to get to your Belmont point, you know, since we kind of covered Arabian Lion, we're looking right now potentially at Forte and two to three other Pletcher horses, Hit Show and Angel of Empire, uh, National Treasure, potentially Reincarnate. And, you know, you could then add in Peter Pan winner Archangelo, potentially because I still can't imagine Jenna Antonucci is going to skip a race like this, even if they have to supplement for 50,000. And, um, you know, just kind of a smattering of others that had been mentioned over time. But, you know, if that's the core group, that feels like a very, that's a very, very solid race. And, and look, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of intrigue alone just with Forte. Forte were to win the Belmont Stakes. I mean, now he's a, he's a clear leader in the clubhouse for the Eclipse Award. It'll, it'll generally be settled in the fall anyway, the summer and fall. But yeah, he'll be so ahead of the game, and and you have uh, it's sort of a revenge plot for you know for Todd Pletcher and Michael Poli, if you will, with what happened in Kentucky, and then being on the vets list for the Preakness. So uh, yeah, it would be kind of a, a funny and interesting way to end the sequence. Red Route One, I think you mentioned, is listed as probable. Sun Thunder, um, 
Tapatrice listed as probable. It's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of intrigue. There are some really good storylines. So here's my question about I keep harping on Arabian Lion, but once again on the Timeform US pace figures, he's uplining at the end. This idea that he needs the that that he's that he can't see out the distance. I'm not sure how backed up it is by what we've seen on the track, but obviously uh, Baffert knows more than me. So if they if they decide to cut back, you'd have to think that's where he goes. I think, and I think what it might be is that Baffert feels National Treasure is a little bit more equipped to go to the Belmont than Arabian Lion is. Um, but I could see him, you know, using Arabian Lion uh, in a, you know, deputizing, so to speak, for National Treasure if something were to come up. Michelle, you loved National Treasure as for the Belmont, and that's why she picked him in the in our Derby draft. She is just wiping the floor with us at this point. Yeah, she's she won by a mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's yeah. got us. I don't I think there's any result really in the Belmont. I've, I've registered zero points. <laughs> Michelle having a good, having a very good run in that uh, in that particular contest. Uh, let's talk. What other we want to talk next? Should we talk a little Black Eyed Susan? That was, a, I think, a race worth pausing on. Taxed, getting the job done of sort of franking that fantasy form that we've had questions about. The figure, nothing to write home about in a ninety, but uh, a good effort and a division that's sort of yet to produce any sort of absolutely wild speed figures that tax looks like a potential player in the division going forward. I would say she does. And it's nice to see, uh, you know, the little guy and Randy Morse is not a little guy. He's had a lot of good horses over the years, but you know, it's been a while since he had a, a particularly good horse, but it's nice to see a horseman like him with a, a, a good horse and tax is one that you mentioned uh, had been claimed. Um, and so that's, you know, that's still something that, yeah, it happens, right? And and she was a horse that's always trained well, and uh, she ran very well. The disappointment in the race was Faza, uh, who ran very poorly, had no excuse whatsoever, and uh, just doesn't look like the horse that we thought she might be based on some of that California form. So, you know, the three-year-old Philly division just feels like as much of a grab bag as you're going to get. Um, I hope that the gate is packed in the Acorn, which uh, is now on Belmont Eve. Um, Cause the field should be big there. I don't know if Randy Morse would bring tax back that quickly, but I would assume that a lot of the Kentucky Oaks uh, alumna, so to speak, would be in there and uh, you'd see maybe wet paint square off with actually, you know, that's funny. My reaction to this race and maybe it was, it was no, not necessarily the right one. I still think wet paints the best three-year-old Philly. And, and I, and I say that, I say that because I think that she was forced into a scenario I guess what I'm trying to say is that wet paint is going to have to get a little bit better, but I still think she's the best three-year-old Philly. And I say that because the Oaks was the first time she had to expend a little bit of energy early. If she's going to win major dirt races around two turns, she's going to have to expend a little bit more energy early. You know, what will also happen between now and, you know, and and August is that other three-year-old Phillies are going to get better that are on the, you know, mainly in the weeds, so to speak. Chad Brown had a really nice Judd Monhorse win on Thursday or Friday at Belmont, I think Thursday, who um, looks like she could be a real player in the division, excuse me, a little bit later on in the year. So, you know, there's going to be new challenges, but we'll see what uh, what happens at Belmont. Yeah, I definitely think that race, and we don't have a great list of probables for it yet, I don't think. I'm not finding it anyway. Yeah, it's um, early. Yeah, but we'll we'll see what happens. But that certainly has the potential. That, as you mentioned, just an incredibly open division. Yeah. Let's close sort of where we began, looking back at the Preakness. And I just want to ask you about predictions for Mage. I mean, is this a horse who, you know, 
as much as he'd accomplished in a shorter period of time, was in, entitled to a bit of regression and is going to rest up and come back a monster for the fall? Or is he a horse that, you know, a little bit more orb-like, that took advantage, had the had picked a great day to have the best day of his life and and might be, you know, not uh, knocking around the top of the division the rest of the way? Yeah, I, I'd like to think he's going to be a solid back half of the year, three-year-old. Um, you know, the thing that that you always run the risk of is that they're going to they're going to sideline him for a bit. And, you know, he's going to show them that he might have expended a little bit too much energy early in the year. I hope that's not the case. So I hope that they're able to, you know, to maybe get him back to the gym dandy or something like that. He's still lightly raced. He's still a horse with a lot of talent. You know, I don't think it's bounce. I'm a speed figure guy, but I'm not a bounce guy. I think he got a setup in the Derby and I think he didn't in the Preakness. And, you know, that explains the, so many of so many big figures can be attributed to something, whether it's the surface, the bias, the pace, you know, something like that. And I think you can attribute his last two figures to something very clear, the pace. It was just up to up to that. And so, you know, I don't think that he lost any anything um, in defeat terribly much. Um, but I do. I mean, I, I don't I shouldn't say he didn't lose anything. He lost a little bit of luster, but he still has an opportunity. Everything that he wants to do is still out there. And, you know, let's be honest, the handicap division, the older handicap division is still very much up in the air. So we're going to see a lot of these three-year-olds later in the season have an opportunity to supplant some of the, the older horses as some of the best around. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a, we'll get an opportunity to see everybody square off in November at Santa Anita. One other for you before I let you get out of here. That is a horse that looked like a serious contender or looks now like a serious contender for the Breeders' Cup sprint in straight no chaser. I know you were not a believer going in. Are you a believer coming out? <laughs> yeah, I gave uh, PTF and JK a hard time about him being their best bet of the day just because I thought he was I thought his last figure was inflated with a slow pace. And this and that boy, he shut me up in a hurry. He was really good. <laughs> He was really, really good. I mean, I don't know. You know, he seems like a horse. I guess we'll see probably in the uh, in the Bing and and some races out west, being with Dan Blacker. But you know, God, part of me was like, man, I hope this horse could run back in the True North. I doubt he'll run back in three weeks. But um, he was really, really good. So yeah, definite. You know, this might be the sprinter we've been waiting for in a lot of ways. And, and I've I've shortchanged uh, Sibelius a lot of times when it comes to the sprint division, because he's, he's the best sprinter out there. We'll see him back in the true North. So, but still straight no chaser was very, very good. One Oh seven buyer speed figure, I believe in a, in a near track record performance. So talking about him also makes me think of another difference when, when I was talking about how, how like sort of the worm was turning and you started to get this bad feeling. Well, I started to get this bad feeling about how the Preakness was going to go the rail, which had looked lousy on Friday clearly had, uh, I don't want to say flipped like it was definitely a positive, but it sure wasn't a negative on Saturday. And that did, and I'm not taking anything away from straight no chaser, but I was thinking maybe you might point to that rail as part of the reason why he was able to be so dominant. I mean, only because I have no concrete evidence to back up that the rail might've gotten good. I still haven't even watched the Arabian race. So maybe, maybe there was a good inside performance in there, but you know, just because you had seen what, you know, 20 odd dirt races roughly up to that point that had all been run with what looked like an outside track profile. It'd be hard to, to, you know, you're really going to have to die on the hill of, yeah, the rail got good during the track maintenance period with the the turf race prior. (laughs) All right. Well, straight note chaser, another one. Be exciting to follow going through. Appreciate you coming on here, Nick. We've got more show. If you're listening, this will wrap the YouTube segment. Go check us out over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, In The Money Media, wherever you get your shows. We remind you to rate, review, and subscribe. 
drop a note in the comments as well. Let us know what you think of any of this stuff. Is Straight No Chaser going to win the Breeders' Cup Sprint? Who's going to be our three-year-old champion? Will Mage bounce back? Is National Treasure the real deal? Et cetera, et cetera. Let us know what you think in the comments. We appreciate you. And we'll be back right after this. We're very excited to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023, where we're going to be featuring Saturday racing each week on the Players Podcast, as well as daily write-ups and analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also find us on the Naira.com website under the Picks, Plays, and Promotions tab. Belmont Stakes approaching fast. Tickets are now on sale at BelmontStakes.com and Bet Belmont with Naira bets and receive a $200 deposit match using the promo code Naira 200. Lastly, make sure you don't miss America's day at the races coverage on the Fox family of networks. Go to in the money slash TV to check that out and be on the lookout for special Monday coverage of Naira racing from our friends at the New York thoroughbred breeders as well. Lots of stuff going on with us and our friends at the New York racing association. Check them out at Naira.com. PTF back with you to talk about a topic near and dear to my heart. And to do that, we bring in a man you might know if you're already in the horse racing world from the fantastic work he does at Monmouth Park. And he's also well regarded as a man who runs a very good handicapping contest. He is Brian Skirka. Brian, how are you today? Pete, I am fantastic. Always good to be on with you. You got these fancy new headphones and they sound great, man. Uh, your, your, your audio quality is like you, you've gone from listed state to grade one. So thank you for uh, getting that sorted out. Hopefully I have uh, things that people actually want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to pull back the lens a little bit. So I actually got started my first like real full-time job in horse racing it was working at the place DRF. We affectionately call the place with the letters around here covering handicapping contests. This was an area I'd watched from afar, got very into the world, quickly got to meet you and, and some of the other folks who uh, put on these contests. But we have a lot of new people around here. And I've had a lot of people ask me specifically about the sort of uh, basics of handicapping contests. I figured you were the per per perfect person to talk to, especially because you have your sort of signature contest of the year coming up on June 3rd. And we will talk about the particulars of that coming up. But let me just start with this. Why, in your opinion, do horse players like these handicapping contests so much? So I think it's two part. Um, there's probably more than two parts. But to me, um, you know, equity is always number one, you know, an opportunity to make more money or, you know, sometimes it's cash. Sometimes it's NHC seats, which we'll get into. And sometimes it's uh, Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats, which we'll which we'll get into. Um, but I think it's just the the ability to kind of do what what your colleague and our friend Drew Coney did last year at the BCBC, turn, what was it, three to five or two to five, whatever flight line was, into an insane amount of money. You know, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not in a contest, you know, you bet flight line at whatever it was, two to five, and you get 40 cents on your dollar. You know, a contest allows you to um, make even more than you would normally. And then the vast majority of contests are live money cash contests. So, in addition to getting your 40 cents on the dollar that you get on flight line, you get, you know, the prizes that the, the contests pay out. So I think equity, whether it's cash or, or contest seats is, is reason number one, you know, we're all in this game to, to make money. Um, but I think number two is the extra layer of competitiveness and the challenge of it. And, um, 
you know, horse racing in itself and paramutual wagering is, is competition. I'm betting against you and, and you're betting against somebody else. But a contest just is an extra layer of that where there's a leaderboard and I want my name to be higher than yours, um, which is appealing. But, but I also want one of the things that I love about contests in general and, and the NHC, like I said, we'll get into is the it's 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 kind of competitive, but it's also, you know, friendships are made throughout it. So so right now, Pete, I want to finish ahead of you. Absolutely. But the second that I'm, I'm out of contention, I'll root my heart out for you. You know, it, it, it's it's a friendly competition where I, I certainly want to win. But but if I'm not going to, I want my friends to win. You summed that up beautifully. You should have written the book on handicapping contests, <laughs> my friends. You nailed that answer. And it is it's it's a ton of fun. As I like to say, lifelong friendships are made in these contest rooms. And now, you know, obviously there's a lot of online participation and we like that. But there's nothing that beats the magic of being in these rooms. Let's talk about the two majors, and then we're going to get into your contest coming up in just a couple of weeks' time, the Pick Your Prize contest. We'll start with the NHC, which you've mentioned a couple of times. National Horse Players Championship feels like, for the next few years at least, it's going to be conducted in March out in Las Vegas. It's the only contest you have to qualify to participate in, and that adds a special vibe because the 600 people who are out there, many of them feel like they've already won because they get this trip to Vegas, no online participation there, but you get this trip to Vegas. People go there with the attitude that they've already won, and, and it creates a unique feeling as compared to any other contest. You've been at a few of these NHCs, and a lot of the players who play in your contest, they want the NHC above all else. What to you is special about that event? So much. Uh, I would say this was probably my seventh, maybe, NHC in a row. Um, and just being at, being at it for the first time, um, it, it was just a, an experience unlike any other. I, I literally, I, I ran the contest back then at Mammoth too, and I feel like we sent 20 or 25 players to that NHC seven years ago, which is pretty good compared to a lot of other tracks. But I left that event just saying, you know, without, with, with you know, I'm going to do anything I possibly can to get as many players as possible into this room because it's, it's just, you know, I, I compare the NHC a little bit to the, the World Series of Poker, it's kind of a different, some similarities, some differences. As you said, the, the biggest thing with the NHC that separates it from all other contests is you cannot buy your way in. You have to qualify in. So you have to come to Monmouth Park or Keeneland or, you know, win an online tournament to to win that seat to the NHC. And, and once you're there, it is an absolute grind. It's a three-day contest. Uh, there's seven tracks that you can that you can play from. There's a combination of mandatory races, so everyone in the room is betting the exact same race, which the excitement level for those races is off the chart. But then you have this big pool of of, of optional races that that you can pick from. So it's strategy of of what races do I pick, and it's also what makes the NHC unique is it's two dollar win place optional uh, plays only. It's not live money. It's not the Breeders' Cup contest, but we'll, which we'll get into. It's not the Mammoth contest, which are all live money. It's 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 optional plays. So you might absolutely love a horse, could be the cinch of all time at two to one, but you you now have to think about: Do I actually want to play that horse? Because is two to one enough money to to help me here when a lot of other players are firing at 10, 12 to one shots? So it's it's just an amazing dynamic. The the setup, going back to the camaraderie that we talked about, the setup of the NHC is big 10, 12 person tables, and 
a lot of the players sit with the same people each year. So you have, you know, the table 29 group or whatever, the same 10 to 12 men and women that sit with, sit with each other every year. And then they'll come to a contest at Monmouth and they're all, they'll all sit together. You know, friendships are made from what 10 years ago was 10 strangers that sat next to each other at a random table are now, you know, lifelong friends that travel throughout the country and, and play with each other. So, and, and of course, if you win the NHC, you know, I think this year was $800,000 first prize and you get an eclipse award and get to make a speech at the eclipse awards, your national horse player of the year. So prizes are, are second to none. And, and the, just being out in Vegas, being one of 600 players to qualify, it is truly an event like no other. There's an equality to it, too. You know, I mean, I love the BCBC, obviously, but, you know, we've seen the established paradigm. You've got to bet like that's monopoly money. Not everybody can do that. You know, you can still win good prizes not doing that in the BCBC. But if you're talking about winning it all, you got to, you know, be in a certain financial position in life. I think it's safe to say NHC. You know, you're there. You there, There's no real money being risked at that point. It gives the littler player a chance to sit across from a pro at their final table and, and get the best of it without being out of their wagering comfort zone. The other thing I wanted to bring up about the NHC, I just find this hilarious. You talked about the competitive nature of players looking at the leaderboard, wanting to see their name above your friends. You have a little uh, competition yourself going with our friend uh, Jim Goodman from Keeneland I wanted to ask you about. Oh, absolutely. Jim uh, puts on a, a phenomenal contest as an as a NHC Hall of Famer as of this past year. He was inducted last year into Hall of Fame for the great work that he does as a tournament uh, director and a player as well. But yeah, he, uh, you know, I think he had 292 or 293 at his big contest this spring. And the biggest I've ever done at Pick Your Prize last year was 290. So I'm going to try to uh, get at least 293 or 294 this year to one up him. But it always, you know, like, like you said, there's a, there's a handful of tournament directors that go to the NHC every year, and, and we kind of all kind of look at each other and say, hey, how many do you have in the top 20? How, how many are you? Uh, where, where did that player qualify from who just won this year? So it's a friendly competition, but uh, just makes, you know, competition makes everything better. If, you're a, if a, there's a great handicapper sitting next to me, I need to up my game to beat him or her. If Jim is a great contest director, which he is, I need to up my game the whole you know, to me, the whole point of horse racing is competition. I want to win, whether it's betting a horse or, you know, creating an event or doing a handicapping contest. I'm in it to win. So the, the more people that are good at their jobs out there, the better. You mentioned equity is the number one reason contests are popular. There's no better equity in terms of, you know, if you're an advantage player out there or just somebody who really wants to get value on their gambling dollar, than the Breeders' Cup betting challenge, that ability to turn a three to five shot into uh, a, a three to two shot, you know, which essentially um, Drew Coatney did going all in on flight line in the, in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. This is bet of not just bet of the year type stuff, but bet of the lifetime type stuff potentially. And there's a lot of ways to qualify, including our horse player happy hour games. Those are going to be starting off in June um, on, uh, on horseplayers.com one of the big qualifying websites for both the BCBC and the NHC. You'll be hearing a lot more about that on the network. But what's been your experience with the BCBC? Do you have players who target that event above all others? Absolutely. BCBC, very different, as you said, than the NHC. Uh, BCBC is a live money contest that you can buy your way into. Uh, a lot of players, you can qualify online or at different tracks 
um, to any of these. You know, at Monmouth, we we qualify players to the NHC and BCBC. So you could either win your way into the BCBC or you can buy your way in. It's a $10,000 buy-in. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 7,500 of that goes to your bankroll, and then 2,500 uh, is you know goes to the prize pool. They get a huge number of players. You know, by far the biggest live money contest of the year. You know, thanks to the best two days of racing of the year. So they have an absolutely massive prize pool. And like you said, it's it's different skills for sure than the NHC. The NHC is probably focused more on picking the most number of winners that you can. The the BCBC is kind of intestinal fortitude you know if if you if you really like a horse you know you can bet as much money on that horse as possible or you know they they allow exotics as well so you know you could hit one race for hundreds of thousands of dollars and and win the contest right there uh it definitely it it definitely is appealing to players i think the live money aspect of it um is is very appealing to players because even if you know obviously if you have a great day if you're drew coatney you know a a life-changing day but to the player who finished 23rd you know and maybe i don't know if that came in or out of the the prize pool there but if you finish 23rd and you doubled your bankroll that's still a good day you know you left with most years that would also get you an nhc seat so it's it's a it becomes sort of a win-win right even you know that's why i'm you know again the the nhc is is the the national contest and 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 above all but i'm a i'm a big live money contest uh fan just, just so that, you know, you could leave with, with something, you know, you, you could have a, a good day and, you know, if you're on the top leaderboard, fantastic. You made money betting and you get additional prizes. But even if you had a so-so day betting, but fell right outside the, the top prize sheet, you know, you could still, you still leave with your bankroll and it was still a good day. It's all in the name for me with those two, right? The NHC, which was written now it's national horse players championship. It was originally uh national handicapping championship it's a handicapping contest it's it's finding winners at prices basically is what that is bcbc betting challenge and you mentioned about the intestinal fortitude but these days i think from here out it's pretty much going to come down to who can make the the biggest boldest bet at the end and, and smartest bet and get the get the number and get the job done so i've interviewed a lot of players you know we always talk about the best places to qualify invariably in the top three, if not the top one contest they're going to mention as ones that they target all year long. It's the pick your prize contest. It's coming up at Monmouth on June 3rd. Brian, tell folks what they need to know about this year's pick your prize. Sure. So this contest is, this is the eighth year of pick your prize. Um, I invented this contest, if you want to say, uh, geared towards kind of exactly what we've been talking about in the lead-in. There, there are certainly groups of players that only want to qualify for the NHC or only want to qualify for the BCBC. And there's also players that only play for cash. And obviously there's players that play for some combination of both. So back, it's, it's changed a little bit now, but back seven, eight years ago, most contests had a very strict, okay, you finish first, this is what you get. You finish second, this is what you get. And sometimes, you know, depending on what a player's choice of prize was or preference in prize was, they would almost rather finish third than first, depending on the, you know, the layout of the prizes. So I, so I came up with pick your prize, which literally is pick your prize. You know, we, as you've seen, you've been here, you know, we do a physical prize board. And depending on the year, there's 25, 30, 35 different little, you know, things that are Velcroed to the board and in order of finish. You know, we, we determine, okay, the top seven or the top eight get two picks and then, 
nine through 30, get one pick. It all depends on how many players are in there, but you go up and if you want the cash prize, you take the cash prize. If you want the NHC seat, you pick the NHC seat. So it really leaves the choice of prize open to the player. And we've had a, a player that want, finished first and picked all the cash and didn't take any NHC or BCBC seat. And we've had years where, you know, NHC and BCBC go first and, and cash. And it, it also adds a little bit of drama because if you're sitting there underneath in 12th, 15th, 20th place, you know, you're hoping, you know, that someone above you picks, you know, the thing that you, you don't. But it's a, you know, we, we, we call it the best NHC qualifying opportunity of the year, you know, not, not to, not to stroke our own fires, but, you know, we gave out 25 NHC seats last year, which is the most of any contest, you know, ever, if I'm not mistaken, we had, we had 290 entries. So the, the prize board last year, we actually ran out of space on the prize board. (laughs) (laughs) We we need a, we need a bigger, we need a bigger boat this year, but we had (laughs) 25 NHC spots last year, seven BCBC seats and nearly a hundred thousand dollars in cash um available on the board the 32nd place finisher last year ended up with an nhc seat so that was that was something else that i wanted to do as well i I wanted to spread out the prizes enough so that a a large um for for me personally i I would rather have more players win good prizes than fewer players win incredible prizes um i haven't had any issue with that it's been it's been well received there's some other contests that are more top heavy where if you win you get you know a king's ransom i I wanted to spread it out a little more you know if you win you certainly you're doing quite well um but i also wanted to spread it out so that we have a a large majority of of winners so again if if you finish in in 32nd place last year in this contest you were heading at nhc um which which you know it has been extremely well received yeah, I love it because there's sort of a democratization that takes away that, I don't want to call it a problem, but that idea of a live bankroll contest where most of the money is at the top, that puts the average Joe horse player at a disadvantage against somebody for whom money is not an object. But in your format, you can, am I correct to say you can double two and a half times your money of, of your starting bankroll and have a good chance to cash that major prize? You don't have to do anything reckless in terms of, you know, risking it all on, on you, you can bet a little bit more normally and still have a chance to cash. I love that about the more flat nature of your contest. And I just love in contests in general that we have, I don't think there is one right way to do it. I think there's a variety of ways and, and I think yours fits very nicely into the overall paradigm, especially to give a smaller player a chance to compete in a live bankroll environment. Right. So so you it's a two thousand dollar buy-in. a uh, thousand of that goes to your bankroll. So you start betting with a thousand dollars. You can um this is kind of like the BCBC you can win your way in. Uh horse tourneys has been running feeders for for months now. So I think a, I think a feeder for this contest is like $156, something like that. So, you know, for $156, give or take, you can win your way in or you can pay $2,000 to get in. And, and you're right, Pete, the, the, you're starting $1,000 bankroll. Last year for John Costin, who finished 32nd, his final bankroll was uh, $2,550. So a, a little bit more than done. I actually feel like that was a little high last year. What, what I usually tell players is if you double your bankroll by – about the time that the last race is with, with one race to go, you're, you're in contention. You know, it's yeah. not, you're, you might have to hit the last race to move up, but again, I'm not saying that doubling your bankroll is easy. Um, but you, to your point, we're not, we're not saying you can 
you're only going to win a prize if you multiply your bankroll times five. You know, if, yeah, if you have a decent day, as, you know, it, it, right. it, you some of these numbers at the top of live bank contests to get in the prize pool. I mean, 15 is high to, to just get in the prize pool, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's, it's your number was probably better there. I should have left the, left the X, left the math to the pro. But let's talk about the, the specifics of how your contest works, how many races you have to bet, tracks involved, where you can play. Yep. So it's um, you can play a high. It's a high what we call a hybrid contest. So you can play online or on site. Um, we, we do a nice we have a room here at Mama called the Turf Club. It sits probably 200, 250 people. So as many players that are interested in playing on site, we can we can accommodate. We do a nice lunch buffet, and, and the Turf Club has everything you could need. There's obviously bedding machines in there. We put out a nice lunch buffet. There's bathrooms right in the machine. It overlooks the track. So it's kind of a, a, a mini NHC. You know, we put big round tables in there, and, and you know, you sit with, with groups of eight or ten. But you don't have to leave that room for anything, basically. Food, bedding, view of the races, it's all right there. Um, but then you can also play online. So TVG, Express Bet. And then this year, for the first time, HPI is is being part of it. So that's a Canadian ADW. So some of our now in a, a post-COVID world, it's a little harder to travel for, for some players. So we just want to make it available for as many people as, as possible. Um, because we do a, a physical prize board that we need to finalize, we do um, basically force pre-registration. There's no day of walk up and sign up like our normal contests are. So if you are playing on-site, through TVG or through HPI, you have to sign up by three o'clock Eastern the day before, which is Friday, June 2nd. If you're playing express bet, you can sign up directly through them uh, up until the first race on Saturday. Uh, express bet is the only one of those ADWs that, that, excuse me, express bet and HPI are the two ADWs that you can sign up directly through them. So they, they will have portals right on express bet and HPI that you can pay and enter the contest right through them. If you're playing through TVG or playing on site, you need to contact me to register. And then obviously if you're playing TVG, we send the money over to TVG to um, set up your bankroll. But the TVG or on-site customers need to contact me. Uh, I'm sure my email is easily found someplace on your site, or you can go to monmouthpark.com. Yeah, hit us with it if you don't mind, just so folks have it handy. Yep, so it's bskirka, S-K-I-R-K-A, at monmouthpark.com. Right. So, again, you just need to be registered by 3 p.m. Eastern on the day before. But, again, on-site or online are the options. From a betting menu standpoint, it's Monmouth Races only. So we should have at least 12 to 14 races that day. Um, you are mandated to bet at least five of them, at least $200 per race. So that's your, you know, you obviously have to bet a minimum of $1,000 that you start with. The betting menu is win, place, show, exacta, and double. Okay. Uh, we, do, we do not do trifectas here. Um, other tracks do. We, we do not, and it's, it's purely just a personal preference thing with me and some players that I've talked to. I, do, I don't love the idea of someone being able to, not that they, you know, maybe they would, you know, bet a phone number and hit a trifecta for 20 grand and, w- and win the contest. Um, to, to, me, to me, trifecta is kind of un, uneven to the playing field in the sense of, you know, if, if you are a trifecta player and you hit something for $10,000, which is, you know, not easy to do, but not out of the realm betting trifectas, you know, it, it makes it harder on a, a win place better or an exacta better to to catch you. So I, I feel like win place show exacta double kind of keeps it so that there's not going to be one 
big score for a hundred thousand dollars that ends the contest and it knock on wood it's it's gone well so far again there's plenty of contests that have different rules and folks can always find one that suits them i think and i always make this offer and a lot of people have taken me up on it if you have questions if you've never played in a contest you want to learn about what contest might suit you reach out to me at looms boldly on twitter i'm happy to give you advice to be your contest sherpa we've had some real success stories that way um i think we could say up to and including uh, drew Cody. I, I'll, I'll take i'll take the littlest bit of credit absolutely help me get him started in this uh in this realm and monmouthpark.com there's going to be a ton more information i'm looking forward to going down there for the for this contest always love taking that boat ride down uh, from the from the city and uh, cruise right by the statue of liberty and then you're just a short uber from monmouth park and just the great summer vibes and the meat itself is off to a to a pretty darn good start brian you got a little unlucky with weather on preakness day but other than that it looked like the numbers were up and the racing was of good quality yeah, numbers were very strong. Um, we've actually run fewer races by design um, to this point than we did last year, but handle is is up, you know, so handles up with fewer races. So that obviously is a, that. is a very good thing. We, we lost the turf both days this past weekend, Saturday, Sunday, due to a bunch of rain on Saturday. But as you said, numbers are, are still incredibly strong. And then the, uh, the meet begins in earnest this weekend. Memorial Day weekend is, I think we'll start running 12, 12 races a day now on weekends. We have been running 10. Um, so hopefully, you know, the weather, the weather uh, cooperates and, and everything is, is, is strong so far. The, the one thing I do want to just go back to pick your price for one second I wanted to Please. add is um, for, for any player who is going to play on site or is thinking about playing on site, we, we also have a, a smaller NHC qualifier the day after on Sunday. So that, that was something that we added a few years into Pick Your Prize on a recommendation from players, which was a, a good recommendation. If, if you're coming from, from way out of town, to add a second contest the next day just makes it so much more worth your while. You know, two, yeah. two, two chances to qualify, two chances at tour points. And so we, we took that recommendation, and, and that has been very well received as well. So if that might be your tipping point, if you're deciding to, to come on site or play online or or, you know, and, and you don't let, you can just play on the Sunday one. You know, if you, if you, if you're new to contests and, you know, maybe $2,000 is a little too rich for you to start out. The Sunday contest is a $300 buy-in, 150 to bankroll, 150 to entry fee. So, you know, there's no reason that you can't play in that, even if you don't play on, on Saturday. And we get a combination of both. We get the player who's in for pick your prize from out of town. They'll stay and play Sunday, but we also get some of our regulars who, might be at a little lower financially that they'll come on play on Sunday. Oh, that's a, that's a terrific opportunity. Just want to underline the whole idea of qualifying. So important. Uh, Horsetourneys.com right now. Get on there, get in these events and try to qualify for this year's pick your prize. Um, you can also just generally speaking for those big events, uh, NH biggest events, NHC and BCBC qualify on the sister site, horse players, horse players is where we're going to be having our horse player happy hour events that start Belmont week. But then we've also got a fun thing happening that we're going to be coordinating together, Brian, on your Haskell preview day. Let's have folks save the date on that one and tell them what's going on and give them the, the overview of your contest schedule throughout the Haskell throughout the Monmouth park season. Yep. So, so that will be a, you know, for anyone listening who's never played in a contest before that, you know, maybe this piqued your interest. Haskell preview day is, is a day that you should circle to, to play. 
Uh, it's Saturday, June 17th. It's the day before Father's Day. Pretty sure that's the right date. Uh, yep, so Saturday, June 17th. Um, as as we said, it's Haskell Preview Day, so that's exactly what it sounds like. We, we have six races on Haskell Day, which is our biggest day. Pretty much all of those races will have their prep race on Haskell Preview Day. And, and Pete, you and I talked about ways to kind of play up that day. It was very successful last year. We want to play it up even more. So we worked together. We talked to McKay over at, at Horse Tourneys. And what we're going to do is have, in essence, a free contest available that day. The, it's actually, you know, you're going to have to pay a dollar to enter, but then you'll get your dollar back afterwards. But in essence, it's going to be, it's going to be a net zero and all the Mammoth races will be available that day. It's what's called a, a pick and pray. So you pick every race at Mammoth. It's the $2 mythical win place. You pick all the races ahead of time. And then the top five finishers that day will win a seat into the, the Haskell contest. We have a $1,000 contest on Haskell day. That's a live money contest. Um, so if you, if you finish in the top five of this horse tourneys contest on Haskell preview day, you'll win your way into that Haskell contest. And then I think the overall winner is going to get, get some cash to donate to um, their favorite horse charity. So that's great as well. Awesome. Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, like you said, if, if for, if you're a seasoned contest player, you might as well take a, a free role. If you've never played in contest before, this would be a great way to dip your toe in the water and, and see what it's like, to, you know, the pick your prey format. The next contest after Pick Your Prize weekend we have is the aforementioned Haskell Challenge. So that's a $1,000 buy-in. There will also, in addition to what we just talked about, the, the in essence, free uh, qualifier, Horse Tourneys will run feeders for that as well. Uh, once Pick Your Prize is over, they'll switch over and start running feeders to the Haskell Contest. The Haskell Contest is a little bit more BCBC skewed because the Haskell itself is a win and you're in for the Breeders' Cup Classic, and we have a great partnership with Breeders' Cup always, but that, that day especially. Uh, I think last year we gave out seven seats to the BCBC last year through that Haskell contest and two NHC seats. So whereas Pick Your Prize is a little bit heavier skewed towards NHC, Haskell is a little bit more skewed towards uh, BCBC, but it's the same kind of thing. You can still, a, you know, you can pick your, your prize. If you want an NHC seat, you could certainly pick that. Um, so that is, that's Haskell Day. And then we have two kind of newish contests in August that I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the season. One is, is Whitney Day, the first Saturday in, in August. And then the second is Traverse Day, the last Saturday in August. Those will be Mammoth Saratoga contests. And for a first time, they will be, again, what we call hybrid contests. You'll be able to play either online or on site. In the past, right. we just we just have done on site uh, Traverse Day contest. So we want to get more and more players qual or, uh, you know, playing and qualified, and we're going to open it up to online or on site. Oh, it sounds terrific. And in, in addition to the, 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 uh, the free contest on preview day, we're going to be doing a little live stream to accompany that. And we'll be talking about contest strategy and things like that. Similar content to what we do throughout the year for horse player happy hour, but very excited to be partnering with Brian and Monmouth and horseplayers.com for all this stuff. Brian, we're just about out of time. I just wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing your, uh, your thoughts and the experience and giving us the lowdown on what to expect from contests at Monmouth Park. If you're watching this on YouTube, this will be the end of the show. If you are listening, stay tuned because we've got more. Brian, thank you very much. 
Pete, always a pleasure. We'll see you in about a week and a half. Horseshoe Indianapolis, listen to its supporters and remove the straight fire six jackpot from the wagering menu and replaced it with a second pick five. Now, the first five thoroughbred races will include a pick five, as will the last five thoroughbred races. That's the late fire pick five or the late fire five, as they call it. Both wagers are separate pools and have separate carryovers and both have the industry low takeout of 11.99%. Other wagers include two pick fours. The first pick four is on races two through five and the late one is on the last four thoroughbred races daily. Both have a lower takeout of 15%. Horseshoe Indy is also going to be doing NHC qualifiers, two of them back to back on Friday, July 7th and Saturday, July 8th. Both will be live money contests and two will advance from the Friday session with four advancing from Saturday, which is also Indiana Derby Day. Horseshoe Indy will also have a contest December 2nd with the top four advancing to the NHC finals at Horseshoe in Las Vegas, March 15th through 17th. Full rules and details will be available soon. Keep it locked to the In The Money Media Network to learn more about the exciting stuff going on with our partners at Horseshoe Indianapolis. Next up on the show, one of our founding partners here for the In The Money Media Network. We call her the first lady of ITM. She's Kim Weir. Kim, what's going on? Well, happy soon-to-be summer, Pete. We are counting down the days up here, and it's great to hear your voice. Good to hear you as well. want to start off with the most basic of questions. We know this is the 40th anniversary year for the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. You had a bunch of events this spring. How's it going so far? Oh my gosh, it has been a great start to the year. It's a very, very busy year. We're saying yes to everything and <laughs> and questioning our judgment later. But we had an amazing spring, very um, Kentucky-focused, sort of when you and I almost crossed paths. Uh, we had a great golf event in Kentucky that was co-chaired by um, two terrific volunteers, Ted and Robin Mazarek in um, Louisville, Dale Romans, and a whole bunch of jockeys were there. It was great. And um, and we're just rolling into this 40th anniversary. We have what we're really doing is trying to give folks who care about the horses and care about our work, saving horses and changing lives, a chance to kind of interact and say hi at, at racetracks all across the country. That's been a very fun project. We started at um, Gulfstream and Santa Anita back in March, and we're now working on a day at Belmont. Um, June 18th, actually, for all of your Belmont uh, fans that may want to come out. There'll be a booth there. There'll be a race named after the TRF. We'll have our video on the big screen. There's a winner's circle presentation. That's a really fun day for all the TRF friends to gather and to, we calling it cheers to 40 years. That's what we want to gather people to just say cheers to 40 years. So we're doing that. We're doing, we're working on one at Del Mar that might have a little bit of you involved. We're working on one at Keeneland. Fingers crossed on that. You know, I haven't been to Del Mar during the summer meet since Saratoga expanded, which is gosh, oh. what, five, six years now. So yeah. I always, you know, don't, don't get out the world's smallest yeah. violin for me or anything. I've been to the coffee <laughs> meet a bunch of times, but the idea of going during the meet proper in this year when I've been underrepresented in California, very exciting. And to do it as a representative uh, uh, spreading the message of TRF, that would truly be special. So fingers crossed we can get something going with that. Yes, I am really excited because you have to go there and be at my home track on my behalf because I don't know when I, it, that's, that's where it all, it's sort of where it all begins, where I met John Henry when I was 11 years old, that, that track, <laughs> I, know, I know that track very well from a little child's point of view. So, um, 
Anyway, we're going to be at Churchill. And then the fun thing I'd say on this, this sort of the TRF day at the track is that um, our dear friends at Naira are just are, are such good partners and such great supporters of what we do. But they are giving us a spot to set up every Sunday um, at the races here in Saratoga all meet long. So great. any of the listeners coming, there will be a place to kind of a nexus for gathering the herd and taking pictures and sharing the good word. Um, that'll be really fun. So we're working on all that. And it's just going to help us really cheers to 40 years, really say thank you to every single solitary soul that walks up and says they care. That's what this year is all about. It's saying thank you and and looking forward to an amazing fifth decade. It's, it's a big thing. It's really exciting. I might have a tiny blonde volunteer for you to help out oh! with Sundays at Saratoga. We'll see. I would be honored and we would be graced with her presence. That parent is really, really good at shaking the trees. She, she knows, <laughs> knows it. She was born into it. I think she came with a gene. So yes, we have a role for parent. She's <laughs> done some good fundraising in the past and is very excited by, uh, by some of the recognition she's gotten from you, from you and the crew. A few different segues I could make here. I'm going to go with the one that I didn't tell you I was going to talk to you about beforehand. Oh. And that was, I got a a, a, a little birdie told me about saratogaliving.com and <laughs> Saratoga 25. These people selected, you know, uh, influencers in Saratoga life, essentially. And your name was on the list. How cool was that? Was that a surprise oh. to you? Oh, it was certainly a surprise. I, I did. I do not quite know how I mer- merited a spot on that list. But my, my dear hubby, who you know awfully well and keeps me in, humble as, as well as anyone can, says it clearly needed a filler. <laughs> and I'm, I'm there I am. <laughs> oh, but I am very humbled. I'm very honored. It's very, it's very, you're very kind. It was certainly a nice, I, I wish I could come up with the right vocabulary word that describes that sort of combination of, oh my gosh, I'm honored. I'm humbled. I'm embarrassed. I'm thankful and gra- grateful. And, and I'm glad. I, I'm pretty happy with the picture. I guess that's what I'm most grateful for. <laughs> first things first. You're please. Oh, vanity. Vanity speaks loud as no. It was really a nice thing. And it's, um, I'm, I I do love this town ever so much. And uh, it really is just kind of amazing to me that I, you know, that little thing happened. And thank you for bringing it up. I'm blushing, I'll, if you can tell. <laughs> I'll pop it in the show notes, which I will probably remember to do. In any case, I'll make sure Eric sends it around. For folks for the free in the money newsletter <laughs> folks aren't signed up for that what are you waiting for it's free it's a great way to keep track of all our content and then you know tangential to, to itm but important things like the saratoga 25 in the money podcast.com slash email to sign up with that but the other place i was going to go when we were talking about parent and we were talking about volunteers and getting involved you had a great story of getting of people getting involved and coming up with a new idea to raise money and awareness of the TRF. I, I think you know what I'm uh, what I'm teeing you up to talk about. Yes. Oh my gosh, this is such a great, great story. And you know, I, I it, it makes me. I always say the funny thing about cliches, the annoying thing about cliches is they're just so darn true. So. Um, <laughs> The truth is my cliche is that I really believe in this concept of celebrate and inspire because when you celebrate someone doing something great, it inspires people to do something else great. And you, you just don't know what that's going to look like. And that this is just one of those. And we've had many of them we've talked about on these airwaves. But this one, um, this one happened uh, like this. We were together um, for the first annual Tee Off for Thoroughbreds golf event um, in Prospect, Kentucky on April 18th mentioned earlier, these amazing volunteers, Ted and Robin Mizrat, they put the whole thing together. They led the whole golf tournament. And part of their real goal was to get the, you know, the, the, the horsemen of Churchill involved. And so Dale was, you know, fearless leader and he had a great foursome and um, Scott Blasey had a great foursome, but 
Robin and Ted really reached out to the jockeys. So we had a really cool um, jockey foursome. Um, and it included Joe Rocco Jr. and James Graham and uh, Brian Hernandez um, and Brian Cohen, um, David Cohen. Great group. So here we go. Here we got this nice little, it's almost like the pot is boiling on the stove at, at Casa Fornatal. You know, you've got one of your great little recipes going with all this good stuff, all this happiness is bubbling about TRF. And, and the golf tournament unfolded and it was a beautiful day and everyone had a good time. And, and when it was all kind of wrapping up, it didn't wrap up quickly. And that's a story for another day. It actually wrapped up with it like a showdown, shootout, last minute thing. But anyway, it was like a long day. And as that long day was unfolding, the celebrate and inspire genie showed up. And so these jockeys, uh, it was specifically James Graham and um, Joe Rocco Jr. said, you know, this has been so much fun. We really love this cause. We think this is great. What else can we do to be helpful? They, they, got, the, they got the inspire bug. And they said, you know, here's what we know. Our wives, that is uh, Lisa Graham and Jamie Ray Rocco, the wives of these um, terrific jockeys, they've started an, a business called the Jock Agency. I encourage folks to look it up on Facebook. Um, and that what they're really trying to do is to give the jockeys, especially like the the jockeys who are riding every day at places like, you know, Parks and Laurel and, you know, Mountaineer and like not always just the top of the shelf um, races tracks, but like the hardworking jockey colony of the America. Let's give them some opportunity to, to really make some revenue um, with their jockey pants. And I think many of us have seen the PDJF logo. We've seen Jeff sure. Ruby's, you know, we, even up here in Saratoga, our friends at Five College Movers have got a little um, action on um, some of the jockeys' pants. But these gals have said, we're going to try to make this a business so that all the jockeys, like there are so many of them, could really get a little bit more of a payday with this real estate that they wear on on their bodies. And But that's that. this conversation is boiling along. Um, and what it transpires to is they say, what if we... What if we put the TRF on the jockey's pants? What if we started carrying your message for the horses when there is available space? And there's a lot behind the scenes and I will not get into it. I don't even know how you do getting the approval of the owners and the trainers and the track and, you know, bureaucracy at its best. But that's what Lisa and Jamie have figured out. And so what they did, flash forward to Derby weekend. I mean, no, no, no better platform to start this wonderful creative idea. And with Robin and Ted there cheering them on, um, our TRF logo uh, went riding around at Twin Spires on Thurby, Der, uh, Oaks, and Derby Day. We had two winners in the work winners circle wearing our pants. And I mean, we had more people reaching out going, I just saw the TRF at Churchill on the races. And this, this is amazing. And it's probably, it is definitely going to continue. And we are so grateful because we don't even really know what, where it will go, but it's already going in a wonderful direction because some people, they did what we love to do, Pete, right? They got people together. They had some fun. They were doing it for a good cause. And then they came up with a great a great way to carry our message. And we're very grateful to the jock agency, to Lisa and Jamie and to Robin and to Ted. And by telling you this story, who knows what we're going to inspire someone else to come up with. <laughs> That's, right. That's the idea, that inspiring part where mm -hmm. folks listening might have a way to get involved or might have a creative idea to help get the message out there or raise money. Crucially, yeah. Yeah. Um, that is, that is what it's all about. And we're excited to be a part of it. We'll send folks to our website, TRF Inc dot org slash players. There's the donation tab right on there. I think we're going to have a schedule of yes. those events that are coming up as well. But we've also got some fun stuff I want to at least very quickly preview, Kim, coming up in Saratoga this summer. We have sort of a mark your calendars section of this visit. 
Yes, we do. Just because we, and I get these, you know, a lot of them are your listeners who are, are, are who reach out and say, are the barbecue tickets available yet? You know, when's the Adelphi event? So I'm going to tell you right now, we've got three kind of, I guess, flagship events that we are hosting this summer. Um, and they're all beloved and repeats. And the first is on July 24th, which is the Monday. Our dear friend, Kendrick Carmouche is back in the kitchen at the Principessa Elena, and he's cooking his gumbo. And it's gumbo for the horses, and we are excited and grateful to Kendrick for having been moved to do this. So that one is locked in. I think tickets will be available by the end of the week. The next one is uh, now it'll be our third year of a collaborative event, which is hosted at the beautiful Adelphi Hotel, and it's hosted by the beautiful Adelphi Hotel. And it is for both the TRF and the PDJF, the Permanently Disabled Jockeys Funds. And it's called For Jocks and Horses. And it's a, a cocktail party on um, Wednesday, August 2nd. Um, you can either just buy your signature cocktail, all sponsored by Casamigos, who donates the tequila. Uh, or you can spend $100 and get a really cool Casamigos bottle signed by the whole New York Jocks Colony. So this is now becoming a bit of a collector's item. If you have joined us in past years, you can get your 2023 beautiful Casamigos bottle signed by all the Jocks. Those tickets are available as we speak. And then we finish up the summer, although we never want to get there too soon. I, I always say this is the one I, I look forward to, but I don't want it to get here anytime soon because it's our TRF Barbecue at the Barn, our 40th anniversary edition. Um, and that is on August 22nd. That's the Tuesday for the Traverse. So um, back at the Saratoga Winery, we are planning to go big. We've, we've got bigger and bigger every year, but we're, we've got a great big tent this year. So we are weather impervious. Rain or shine. Yes, that's good. Rain or shine. We're going to put the silent auction out there under the tent so that it's really easy for people to access and see. Great. Um, and we are super excited. We have already got a ton of our sponsors in for that, um, Pete. It's a little shameless plug, but it's what I do for a living is you, yes. my friend, the, the In The Money family are in as one of our featured sponsors. So are your good friends at Adelphi Racing Club and America's Pastime Stable. Uh, and there's room for more because we are trying to a raise a lot of money this year for our 40th anniversary. So sponsorships are, are wide open and welcome. Please reach and I know out. you're looking, Kim, to wrap those in the next couple of weeks, too. So folks listening who have a connection within the industry who might benefit from, you know, helping out and getting involved in the barbecue at the barn, reach out to Kim. Uh, what's the best way for folks to get to you, Kim? Easiest way is my email, which is Kim at trf trfinc.org sort of looks like your like your your page but kim at trfinc.org and just shoot me a note and i'll give you all the details they're also all on the barbecue page but um it's it's easy it's fun we give you a lot of love we're grateful for our sponsors ever so much and um would be thrilled to hear from folks who might be interested in putting their name in lights at the barbecue when will those barbecue tickets be on sale they are flying off the shelf as we speak okay um, so don't can... hesitate on that no, it'll always sell out. It's even though we're really going to bump up the number, I know we will sell out again. I'm grateful for that. I don't take that for granted, but I would say if you're planning to come, just go ahead and buy them. You'll get the early bird rate and you'll be locked in. And that can be found on our page as well, trfinc.org slash players. Yes. Last thing, just we have one minute left here, Kim. And I just wanted to, I had a great conversation with a couple of people who donate to TRF who were 
saying that the stock option donation really works out well for them because they get to give you guys the benefit and also get the like some tax benefits themselves. Obviously, probably more of an end of year thing, I'm guessing. But I just wanted to mention that idea out there. You know, there's a lot of a lot of sharp people out in the audience looking for the the smartest, most financially beneficial ways of doing things. And I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, donating stocks is still something that folks can consider. Oh yeah, it's it is really one of the greatest ways to give, quite honestly, because um, we get the full value of the shares at the moment they transfer to us, and the donor doesn't incur any of the capital gains. Um, so it's it's immediately and that's a write off. Yeah, and, and then it, and then the donation itself is tax deductible. So it's really like the most powerful way, and it also, of course, saves your checking account, you know, and your credit card. So it's just this wonderful the non cash asset donation. We cannot say enough about it, and I love that we've got some very dear friends of the of the herd and friends of um, ITM who have availed themselves. So once again, if you just have questions or you just need the info, shoot me an email. It's easy peasy Kim at trfinc.org, um, and I can make that happen. Kim, we'll have you back ahead of Saratoga to let us know updates on what's happening, where and when. If you have any messaging in the meantime, you need to get out to the crew. Let me know. We'll put it in our newsletter. I'll get it on these airwaves. We love you. We love working with you. And we look forward to speaking with you in the near future. Thank you, Pete. Take care. In the Money Media is proud to be partnered with the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the KTDF and have led to an incredible enhancement to the Kentucky racing scene. KTDF dollars in purses are only for Kentucky bred horses. So breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profit and return on racing and breeding investments. Because of the benefits from the KTDF, Churchill Downs Racing and Kentucky Racing in general as a whole continue to be on an incredible upward trajectory. For more information, check out inthemoneypodcast.com slash KTDF. That's going to do it for this edition of today's show. I want to thank all of today's guests. Thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. Man, fun hanging out with some of that crew down there at the Preakness, that was for sure, as well as the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. You heard all about them earlier in the show. One more reminder, Horse Player Happy Hour is nearly back. Belmont Week Thursday, save the date, same as last year. 20000 added to the pot. You only need to play one week to potentially be eligible for that prize pool if you can finish in the top two. More details to come. You can't sign up just yet, but just know Belmont Week, we will be returning to horseplayers.com. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you for listening, for viewing, for making these shows so much fun to do. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or on YouTube, this show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business managers, Drew Cotney, our chief creative officers, Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos!